just spoke of hope. And I'm going to be honest with you. The next time I play that song, I hope I play it without blundering as many times as I did this morning. You didn't know? Okay, I am, I am from a Catholic background. Back a hundred years ago, I was Catholic before the Lord saved me at about age 15. So what I'm doing here this morning by admitting to you how many boneheaded stunts I pulled on the bass this morning during our last song is you're the priest, I'm the guy on the other side of the confessional. <laughs> uh, if you're not a Catholic, you have no idea what I'm talking about. So... Um, with that said, since you guys didn't hear it, I was just kidding. I didn't make a single mistake. Didn't work. Okay. Hope. Yeah, that's true. It does say make a joyful noise unto the Lord. It's just that when you're a musician that's been playing as long as I have, your joyful noise needs to actually be in key and on the right notes. So, with that said, hope is our theme this morning, and we're going to be focusing predominantly on Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Hope on the horizon is one of the themes of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Hope on the horizon. You say, why on the horizon? Why can't it just be hope? Well, something that you find interesting about the Old Testament prophets, especially as time is waning toward the last days of Malachi, where God runs silent for 400 years, and the next time that Israel hears the voice of God, it's in an unstylish, uncouth prophet named John the Baptist. So Isaiah, his message was among others in his rather large, which is why it's referred to as a major prophet, was hope on the horizon. Because a casual perusal of the book of Isaiah will let you know God is not happy here. And as time goes by and the prophets begin to become minor as opposed to major, you find out that things have gone desperately, desperately wrong with the people of God. And so in the midst of words and prophecies about judgment, Isaiah, as with many of the Old Testament prophets, also speaks of hope, but in a future tense. His prophecies, Isaiah, were nearly, were spanned over a nearly 60-year period, 58 to be precise. He prophesied for nearly six decades, from B.C. 739 to 681. That's a long time to be in the service of the Lord when no one wants to hear you and no one particularly cares for who you are. Sixty, almost 60 years is a long time. And he prophesied for those 60 years predominantly to the people living in Jerusalem. His prophecies spanned over a reign of four different 
kings. Four separate administrations. King Uzziah, King Jotham, King Ahaz, and King Hezekiah. In this slice of history, as it were, the Israelite people found themselves living in dark times of judgment because they have broken the covenant with God and pursued idolatrous and rebellious lives, all of which led to lives of sin. The judgment of God comes throughout the book of Isaiah in the form of foreign nations such as Babylon and Assyria, for example, coming in, overtaking the people of God, and eventually leading them into exile. What would it be like in your life if having known God, having interacted with Him, and you come under the influence of the world. Just to turn your back on that same sovereign God and have an enemy, which is the form of judgment that God chose, come in, <coughs> excuse me, destroy everything you have and everything you know and take you prisoner somewhere else for an ex a totally undisclosed period of time. That was what the people of God experienced in the Old Testament. Exile. Have you ever felt like you've lived, thank you, E.G., in exile? Something has taken you away from what all of what is familiar. People that experience exile long for hope. They long for it because they hold on to it until they can be rescued and released from their captors. Exile is a place where people desire for someone to save them. When a person wakes up, see if you've ever done this, wakes up in the morning and wonders if today could possibly get any worse than yesterday. That's pretty bad because you just woke up and you're asking the question before the day has ever started. That's pretty bad. Can it get any, day, any worse than yesterday? That person who wakes up like that, asking that question, maybe someone who's in exile. Some may say that reading the daily headlines now in this 21st century brings echoes of a type of exile from what life could be and should be. How many of you actually watch the news or read the paper or whatever, however you get your news, and say to yourself somewhere in the back of your brain and from the depths of your heart, and you say, this doesn't have to be this way. I really wish this wasn't this way. I do it all the time. You know, I used to be a bit of a data junkie. 
I used to want to hear the various reports on the news and various um, conservative talk shows and all this stuff. And Darren King and I kind of were together in on this. And some months ago, I was living so preoccupied with how messed up this world is and so preoccupied with all of the myriad of what-ifs, I turned it all off and I haven't turned it on since. And you know why? Because listening to all of those people aren't going to change the fact, no matter what happens in our life, it's not going to change the fact that God has spoken and I need not stress out over it. No matter what happens. When we listen and watch the news and listen to the radio and we read the headlines now here in our grand 21st century, does it remind you of exile? Stories dealing with things like terrorist attacks or abuse in all forms. Corruption in government? No. Now that one's a stretch. Didn't laugh a second time? Really? Did you get tired the first time? Is that what it was? Epidemics in society from everything from human trafficking to opioid addictions. You know, that's an indication of how screwed up our world is. Let's all just get prescription drugs and get stoned so we don't have to deal with it. Power and hedonism, which the Greeks were famous for, leading to oppression and exploitation. All these dark issues and more that surround our lives each and every day in the form of news stories can make it as if modern, it we're living in a modern day exile from what God both intended and desires life to be. If you listen to these things and say it shouldn't have to be like this, let me tell you something, that's a God part of you. Because God did not originally design this to go so south. Perhaps our stories, our personal stories, not the stories at large dealing with our country and the world, but maybe our stories that make us feel as though we're in exile, deal with everything from things like divorce, disease. How about debt? Depression? Even death? Whether living 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ like Isaiah did, or almost 21 centuries after his first advent, which is what we're living, people experiencing the effects of exile need hope to hold on to in life. Hope. They need something to hope in. It's one of the things that the Lord majored in through the prophet Isaiah. The meaning of Isaiah's name The salvation of the Lord, that's the meaning of Isaiah's name, is worth remembering as we anticipate the hope 
of Christmas and why we celebrate it. Now, I know what we've turned it into. But the salvation of Yahweh, there is no Christmas without the salvation of Yahweh being placed in a manger. There is no salvation without a virgin birth. There is no Christian or Christmas without the celebration of God becoming man through a woman. And over a brief 33-year span, turned the world on its ear. The prophet's name is appropriate for people, the people of God who find themselves in a season of exile, regardless of how they got there. Matter of fact, we're coming into the season of the year, if you can call it a season, where um, um, suicide skyrockets. Because a desperate need for hope, a desperate desire for something where a celebration is taking on globally the idea of hope, in Jesus Christ and people, and I don't understand this from a personal perspective, but people living without hope decide it's time to end this. Take note of how one scholar describes the book of Isaiah. We're going to go into a series of scriptures. As a matter of fact, one of these passages of scripture take up a good portion of two entire chapters. So prepare. Take note again of how the scholar describes the book of Isaiah, which points to the prophetic hope found in the salvation of Yahweh, whose name is Jesus Christ. Let's look at this. Chapter 40 of the book of Isaiah, verses 3 through 5. This is the announcement of the coming of Christ. The announcement. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Jesus is the great equalizer. He levels the playing field so that, see if this rings a bell, whosoever will, who calls on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Isaiah chapter 40. Hallelujah. That was the announcement of His coming in chapter 40. His virgin birth is found in the seventh chapter of Isaiah. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The proclamation of the good news is found in Isaiah chapter 61 
The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. If that, uh, for those of you who don't necessarily venture into the Old Testament very often, you probably recognize that from Luke chapter 4. Jesus quoted the prophet. His sacrificial death, and we all know these scriptures, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ is found in chapter 52 through 53. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. I'm going to pause right there and let's take that in what was just stated. How many of you have seen a movie where Jesus is taken to the whipping post prior to the cross? Bloody, nasty, vicious. But I want you to ponder what Isaiah just said about what he looked like. Let's read that again. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. We have yet to see what that looked like. He was so beaten that if you didn't know going in that that was a man, you wouldn't know that it was a man coming out. And that so shall he sprinkle many nations. The blood that was shed before the cross, by his stripes. Going on, kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which was not, has, uh, has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, wouldn't even consider him. And no beauty that we should desire him. Oh, that's our guy right there. No. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet yet he opened not his mouth. Man, don't you get crossways with a Christian in the 21st century. They're going to open the mouth. There's going to be some mouth opening going on in the house of God. And yet, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. That is a lesson worthy of learning. Like a lamb that was led to slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. But his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet, he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Praise God. And lastly, His return to claim His own is found in the 60th chapter of Isaiah, verses 2 and 3. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. The theme of hope on the horizon throughout the book of Isaiah can reach into the hearts of everyone who feels the effects of living in some form or fashion of this modern day exile. And hope shines like the light in the darkness just as Isaiah prophesied 700 years before that self-same hope arrived with the most wonderful name. That name that is above every name, Jesus. Now, as we celebrate the advent of the incarnate hope, let's listen, fresh, fresh ears, to these words of piercing through the darkness from Isaiah chapter 9. It's Isaiah 9 and verse 2. The people, maybe you've heard this before, who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Verse 6 says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Praise God. As for reference earlier that the unique um, prophecy of hope would come from the womb of a virgin is stated in Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. We've been given a sign. We've been given a sign. That prophecy that I just read found its fulfillment in Matthew. Because Matthew states in his gospel some 700 plus years later when speaking of the birth of Jesus during the solidification in Joseph's life amidst a dream in the night. Now if you're wondering what the solidification of Joseph is, or in Joseph's life, solidification by definition is really pretty simple. Uh, it's a phase change. Anybody here ever have a phase change? It's a phase change of matter. You know, matter. Matter. That results in the production of a solid. The solidification of Joseph was basically that before he had an encounter with an angel in a dream, he was fluid. He was vacillating. He was shifting. But once he heard from the Lord, he became a solid. And this is what Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 through 25 says, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He became a solid. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Hope arrived 700 years after Isaiah prophesied about that moment. And his name was called Jesus, which means God saves. God with us. Because God saves. 
And Isaiah, whose name, if you remember from earlier in the message, means the salvation of Yahweh, had pointed the people living in darkness to hope on the horizon that finally broke through in glorious light seven centuries later that came straight from Yahweh himself. Interestingly, some 700 years in the future from the birth of Jesus, so you've got Isaiah and 700 years until the birth of Jesus, now we have Jesus and 700 years in the future from him during a time in history that we all know as the Dark Ages. The origins, at that time, the origins of the oldest Christmas carol were being sung by monks that would later, that song would later become known as a song you and I still sing. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Now, why did I insert that little bit of history in there? Because we're not done with the history lesson. There's a gentleman by the name of Eric Metaxas. Metaxas wrote an article insightful, thoughtful article that was entitled Salvation History in One Hymn. That was the title of the article. Salvation History in One Hymn. Now I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson here, so let's hang on, okay? Listen carefully. I'm going to try to make this as clear as possible, as followable as possible. Metaxas goes on, and this is direct quotes from from Metaxas' article. I want you to imagine yourself in a monastery in the 8th century. It's December 17th, and you've gathered with your fellow monks, your, your, your brothers, for a thing that's known as Vespers. How many here has ever heard of a Vesper service? Or Vespers? Now, at this time... Vespers were the sunset prayer services. They would be praying at sunset. That is known as Vespers. This is not a quote. Obviously, I'm off script. Vespers anymore, and I don't know who even does Vesper services at camps anymore, but at church camps, Vesper services where were the very young and upcoming preachers that were attending camp would go and preach. And it was usually pre-night service. Okay? I don't know if they do that anymore. But if they do, good for them. <laughs> but Vespers were the sunset prayer service. Back to uh, Eric Metaxas's article. As with all Vespers, at the heart of the service is the chanting of select psalms. Okay? So we get the idea that Vespers were the chanting of selected psalms. Each of them, each psalm, proceeded, came before, and followed by what is known as an antiphon, a sung or recited response. So before you do the selected psalm, you recite an antiphon. And when you're done, you recite an antiphon. Okay? Now, what sets December 17th apart in your 8th century monastery that you are all attending as well as the six nights that follow, seven nights consecutively, are the seven 
antiphons used only on those seven nights during the year. Each one is a name of Christ. Each antiphon is a name of Christ. Specifically, they're messianic titles that are extracted right out of the book of Isaiah. Now, here are the seven names. Sapieta, name of Christ, out of, out of Isaiah. That means wisdom. Adonai, Lord. Radix, root of Jesse. Clavis, key of David. Oriens, which means dayspring. Rex, which means king of the nations. And then there's the one that we all know, Emmanuel. God with us. Because each of these titles is preceded with the word, now listen, O. So you'd say, O Clavis, O Radix, O Adonai. They're known as the O Antiphons. Who's being stirred to their core? Who's ever heard this before? Now, if you start sticking the word O in front of these names of Jesus taken from Isaiah, and you get to the last one, the seventh antiphon, Emmanuel, and you say it, O Emmanuel, suddenly something starts to sound vaguely familiar. And it should. Metaxas goes on to say, I have just given you a glimpse into the origins of O come, O come, Emmanuel, the greatest Advent, or should I say, Christian hymn of all time. While I was asked, while I asked you, he goes on to say, to imagine an 8th century monastery, the O antiphons predate the 8th century. The Roman philosopher uh, Bothius who lived in the late 5th and early 6th centuries, alludes to them in his writings. So they've been around for a really long time. It's reasonable, in fact, to suppose, as one scholar put it, in some fashion, the O antiphons have been part of the liturgical tradition since the very early church. You're saying, Michael, great information. Yay. But I don't understand why this matters at all. Here's why it matters. You see, it's more than what they teach us. It's, it's really about what they teach us. But it's more than not just their antiquity. They're really old. It's really what they teach us that gives these antiphons, these O antiphons, their power. You see, the composer and musicologist Robert Greensburg has noted that if you take, now listen, the first letter of each of the Messianic titles... Remember them? Sapieta, Adonai, Radix, Clavis, Oriens, Rex, and Emmanuel. And you take them in reverse order. Emmanuel, Rex, Oriens, Clavis, etc. You start them on December 17th and you end on December 23rd. You have a Latin phrase if you take those first letters in reverse. There's a Latin phrase that's created. And that Latin phrase is Ero Cross which means simply this. Tomorrow, I will come. 
took a long time to get there. But Isaiah prophesied hope in part, hope on the horizon. And the names extracted from his very prophecies are a message to mankind. Tomorrow, I will come. Hope on the horizon. You see, while yesterday in exile may have been bad, and today may just not seem all that much better, we have hope in knowing that if, if not today, if not tomorrow, soon He will come again. If not today, maybe tomorrow. If not tomorrow, it's going to happen soon. Why? He said, I'm going to give you a sign and a virgin is going to give birth to a child. That child will be known as Emmanuel. And if it's not today, maybe tomorrow. If not tomorrow, soon. He will come again. The second advent is closer than we may realize even if we feel like exile has lasted far too long from our vantage point in life. Have you ever felt like you've been in exile? Some condition, some situation in our life that makes us feel far from God and separated from our brethren. We're in exile. And all I want is the hope to know that someone is going to set me free Someone is going to rescue me from this exile. And if it's not today, maybe it's tomorrow. And if it's not tomorrow, it's going to be soon. Soon. Sometime He's coming back for me. And He's going to set me free. If we feel like we're still, still in our exile, whatever form that that may take, may we join those eight century monks and the countless throughout the ages who have sung the song of Advent hope, Oh come, oh come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Can we join them in our hearts, if not in our voices? Because I don't know what it is that you're dealing with. I don't know what you're contending with in your life. But hope is on the horizon. If not today, soon. Soon. If not tomorrow, soon. He will come. And you, captive Israel, will be ransomed and rescued. And you will be set free from whatever exile you are finding yourself in. Stand with me this morning. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. It is good to be in the house of God. It is good to be in the presence of God. It is good to hear the promises of the Most High God because those promises, I don't know about you. I can't speak for you. But I know in my knower, as Larry Lee used to call it, I know in my knower 
that no matter what's going on, no matter what the circumstances are in my life, and I promise you, I've faced my share of circumstances that caused me to question my place and my purpose. But God has shown us a sign. And by that sign, come on, Ron, by, by that sign, we can set our compass on true north. And in the midst of everything that we're dealing with, whatever that exile might seem like, if not today, maybe tomorrow. And if it's not tomorrow, it'll be soon. And he's going to come in. And your exile is going to end. It's going to stop. It's going to cease. It will no longer be in existence because you, you will have been rescued. Father, we worship you today. We exalt your name in all the earth because you are worthy. You are worthy. Precious Lord.